Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's very much not a government-certified ladder builder. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, I'll tell you what. my The most disappointed I was in this entire movie was that he used a ladder at all. Because <laughs> Which when one of I really float up to, to float up to the top? When he when he switched from the small one to the big one, I thought that he should floor is made of lava it over to the other one and just Jump. I don't know be passed along. Oh, um, I was like <laughs> I was like really go for that leap. Floor is lava crowd, like like I can surfing. make it if I really just like try. Um, I just I just feel like his religious convictions to not live on the ground should extend to never ever touching the ground. I see. I have and he's just too he's too willy nilly about climbing uh, down to to go on to the new I, one. I. Well, personally, like if we're going to get into really into this, I feel that it is arrogant for him to change columns. Right? Frankly, like accepting this gift from this wealthy wealthy patron of a better, bigger, taller column to be closer to God, like you weren't close enough on the column that you that God already gave you. <laughs> uh, well, we will we will get into it because one of the one of the main points of this movie is the arrogance of uh, of people like Simon. I know, so, I know, uh, but like yeah. it, the, the movie hits you with it real early, so it's you know real early, real hard. Uh, it lays it lays its groundwork, its, its groundwork, its uh, foundation for its pillars to heaven. Before we get in, too much more into the movie this week, because we've already we've already talked about it a little bit, uh, I do want to talk about our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, for a dollar a month over there, you can help keep us going and get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-Criterion film over there. Supporters get to vote on what the film's going to be. They can suggest uh, movies for us to watch over there, or uh, or hold lists if they want to go that route. And usually, if you suggest a movie or a list, and uh, and we use it, we invite that person on. So we have uh, we have guests over there. If you want to buy your way onto the podcast, it's a real <laughs> easy route. Okay, um, I I would like to not frame it as that. I mean, do we fit <laughs> firmly into the mold of Simon? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Do are we embarrassed by it, and do we not want to talk about it in that context? Also, yes, just like Simon. Just like Simon. If you tried if you tried to put Simon on the spot. He'd, he'd deflect in just the same way that we want to deflect right now. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, we watch a pretty eclectic mix of movies over there. It's non-Criterion films, as I said. Uh, one choice every month is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. Uh, they've made us watch that a couple of times. If you want to make us watch it more, just a dollar a month. You can jump in. Yeah, I mean, you could make uh, us watch it every episode well, for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, just multiple Patreon accounts. It wouldn't take that much money. No, really, to, you could outvote everybody bo- very easily to stuff the box. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like I mean, you could Amazon your way straight into whatever vote count you want. Let me tell you, exactly, exactly, exactly. You can pay <laughs> us the post <laughs> office to make that happen for you. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. 
America. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> for a little extra $5 a month, you don't get any extra votes. I'm sorry. you got to make the separate accounts <laughs> I mean, if you, you want the extra votes. I mean, you would have to make votes. five accounts and pay us $5. You can make five accounts. That'd be But fun. you wouldn't get the reward but, uh, for it. But you want to get the $5 reward. Uh, $5, we like to thank those people on air. It's you know just a little a little uptick for people who want to support us a little higher. Uh, we have one supporter at that level right now, Stephen Goldmeyer, who's a good friend. And uh, thanks, Stephen. It's very yes, kind of you. Thank you. Um, one reason that there's only one guy at $5 is that what we do at 10 is pretty special. At $10 and above, we uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard. And write a little thank you note and mail that off. So you get a little personalized note and some uh, some small batch bespoke art. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's detrimental mail. to my performance at work. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sometimes Pat gets so into it that uh, he neglects all of his other important. Yeah, life maybe duties. he doesn't grade and, papers uh, that week. I don't know. Oops. And you know what? Pat getting into his art instead of you know his actual day job. My actual uh, job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm cool with, you know, uh, Pat should be able to be paid to make art. So I, I, I love it. It's the, the happiest thing about my life. Well, I mean, in this context, I have lots of other happy things. About my life, <laughs> the happiest thing in I my love life my family very in much. this so context. That yes. just, <laughs> I realized like, uh, I, I meant like, one of the I most amazing like, caveats I have ever heard yeah, anyone yeah, yeah. give out. Well, Thank like, you. I was like, I was like, I'm really, it really is very exciting for me to be paid to do art. A thing that no, I never conceived of anybody ever doing ever in my right. life uh so that is very very exciting to me and then i realized that the way this sentence was going to come out it's like <laughs> fuck my family my job <laughs> everything oops that's fair that's fair oh <laughs> it's just uh, beautiful oh uh, anyway um like I said, that is $10 and above, and we like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Christopher Otto, to Adam Speakerman, to Jason Westhaver, Michael McGrath, and Patrick Yako, our $10 and above supporters. Uh, if thank you want you so to check out the postcards and what they look like, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion. Uh, they are on a little delay over at the Redbubble because I like to let the supporters see them and, and, and make sure they get them and can enjoy them firsthand before uh, before they go on for sale but you can buy old ones and see the old ones over at redbubble.com but if you want them directly and you want to support us that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion uh good news about that is we are slowly taking over the criterion collection category on redbubble that's great eventually we will not... dominate it because we will have just produce so much work that you'll right basically be it'll be impossible we'll just edge out the people who have just taken an actor cut them out and like put their name under it and then that they're done. Ah, Pat, this week we are uh, finishing up a back to back, uh, duo of Louis Buñuel films, uh, Louis Buñuel, uh, films made in Mexico. His, uh, his last couple of works in Mexico as well with Simon of the desert from 1965. Again, directed by Buñuel, uh, starring, uh, Sylvia Pinal and produced by Sylvia's husband, Gustavo, uh, when we uh, when we talked last <laughs> yeah. week, we pointed out that uh, that Alatriste's involvement bu- with Buñuel was Pinal's fault. Sylvia Pinal was like, "Hey, I want to work with Buñuel. You should hi- you should pay him to make movies." <laughs> right. And I, I really love them. that entire thing. It yeah. just makes me. Yeah. It, it is. 
is clearly in other contexts something I would find really annoying and bad. Yeah. But in this context, I kind I can't I can't fault it because it produced I really amazing stuff amazing stuff. I really love it in this movie too because she's clearly having so much fun. Yes. Yeah. Every no, time yeah, she's on sure. screen. Like I mean, yeah. she gets and to hearing play her talk an about amazing it. character. It's just being right. That just being that weirdly malevolent has just got to be a lot of fun. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite cinematic depictions of Satan. Yeah, period. absolutely. I'm uh, totally on board. Yeah. We talk about it whenever it comes up. Uh, <laughs> we have we have had other movies with cinematic depictions of Satan. We've had The Devil and Daniel Webster. We had Heaven Can Wait was a good one, too. Um, but uh, but this one ranks right up there with the uh, the original Bedazzled is, is yeah. really top of my list. But this is this is very close. It'd be hard to. Hard to differentiate at this point, actually. But as I said, this is from 1965, one of Yunel's last films before he left. It was originally maybe meant to be a triptych uh, or an anthology of some sort. Uh, That is really depending on who you talk to and when. Okay. Uh, Okay. So there's, there's one idea. Bunel says he ran out of money, which is why this movie sort of feels like it rushes to an end at the 45-minute mark. Right. Uh, there is other information that it was uh, Alatriste himself running out of money instead of Bunel running out of money and Alatriste, the producer, not producing more money. Um, Pinal says it was meant to be a triptych, and at least that this was meant to be an anthology film. We touched on it a little bit last week in talking about her background with Bunel. Uh, but uh, one very interesting thing is that she and uh, she and her husband approached Fellini to make a second part for this movie. And Fellini said, oh, I love, no, this is a really great concept. I'd love, uh, I'd love if Giulietta uh, was in it. Giulietta Messina, his wife, uh, who is phenomenal actress, comedic actress too. And Pinal is definitely channeling some, some, the same sort of uh, female comedic actor uh, that we, uh, we love in Messina in this movie, I think right, too. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, Pinal is the one telling the story where I saw it. And she, she, Essentially, she's just to Fellini. He's like, "Oh yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to Louis about that. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how he feels." Um, oh god! <laughs> so she just sort of like got a ghost Fellini. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, uh, and then they went to uh, to Jacques Dassin to to do the third, and uh, or I guess to do the second instead of Fellini, maybe. Um, and Dassin said the same thing. I'll get my wife to star in it. And, and Benal again was, I did all this work. I'm not. I'm not giving up on the character. I'm not. Right. <laughs> I'm playing the devil in the rest of these. Yeah, if it like, happens, why would you not want to? Like, I mean, like considering right, how right. amazing the role is, it's it's. Yeah. Why? Why so, would you trade this? So yeah, Buñuel's information implies that this was originally meant to be a feature length, uh, all focusing on Simon. Uh, whereas Pinal's information implies that this movie is as long as it was ever meant to be. And there was meant to be other aspects of the movie, at least one, if not two, if not more. 
Um, Bunell eventually does talk about this movie to say that he feels like it might have existed better if it were one of the vignettes in the Milky Way. Uh, yeah, I can if see he that. had shortened this instead and put it into the Milky, I, I mean, I could see that. Uh-oh. And if it's all that I had, I would be happy with it. I'm sure, but there's a lot going on here that could not have fit into. I mean, if it were in the Milky Way, it would be at most 20 minutes long, I think is the longest sequence we have in the Milky Way. Um, and that's that ridiculously long sword fight of, of the guys having having the uh, philosophical argument about the Trinity while also having a having a sword fight. It's very silly. I love I love the Milky Way way too much. I need to watch that again. Uh, so this movie is loosely based on a real life desert father. Of course. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Weird guys. Uh, Syrian Saint Simeon Stilitis, um, who lived on a pillar for 39 years. Uh, yeah. In the fifth century. Um, sure. Maybe really happened. Probably really happened. I don't I'm know. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb. Probably didn't live there for 39 years. Gonna, I mean, I, my skepticism is going to run a little high on this one. Uh, yeah. Um, listen, uh, there is a reason that Bunel is not making an actual biopic. About right. Yeah. Singing, I understand that. Right. I, I just, you know, boy, that's, that's just a statement. Yeah. I don't know. Like I can't, I don't even want to start engaging with that statement about <laughs> this real God. Sort of. One interesting thing is I don't, I, I've never read anything written by Simeon. I don't know if he wrote anything, um, but he's he's fifth century, um, so he's you know Christianity just after Constantine, which is a very big change in a lot of Christianity with uh, with Constantine adopting it as as the state religion, um, and it no longer being a uh, you know a actively persecuted religion. Um, but, uh, but like one of the things, there's that scene where the one brother is possessed. Yeah. And, uh, I found it interesting because, you know, he's, he's just like, he's yelling death to different theological concepts Yeah, or, uh, or switches it up for a second. And he says, uh, uh, long live, uh, oh goodness. What is it? That happened so fast. Uh, I was trying to take mental notes of it, and I just couldn't. Like, I was like, I should take mental notes on like what things he's cursing because they seem really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the one, the one that's super interesting to me is that he shouts, "Long live the apocastasis." Yeah, I went and looked um, that one up. Like, return to the primordial form or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's essentially within a Christian context, it is a universal redemption. Um, and and. Obviously, this is this is the possessed character yelling "Long live universalism," um, which is interesting because just just prior to Simeon, uh, basically all of the church fathers were universalists. Anyone who wrote anything about it, um, so uh, there's some arguments about origin, uh, and maybe he was excommunicated for being a universalist, and then maybe he wasn't, and then yeah, uh, but. Uh, but they all pretty much tread the line of universalism, and then to have uh, to have that thing be one of the things that uh, that Budell specifically has the possessed character uh, 
support. Right. Um, but then also the other two monks who who turn to each other is like, hey, what's a what's a pasta sace? Yeah, no, that is pretty good. <laughs> and the guy just shrugs. It's very good. There's it's a couple good. scenes like that. That's not the only time where the monks like actively engage with like, oh, we don't know what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> right. I also I also love in that scene that because he switches back and forth, one of the uh, one of the other monks accidentally chants death to Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's really good. There's like, yeah, it's there's there's some. Just like in the last movie, like there's some really good comedy elements to this movie, like where it's like, oh yeah, like Brunel can, can like actually write like a co- like not just dark comedy, like in the sort of like commentary. He writes some way, pretty good jokes, but like actual jokes that are like that, that come yeah. off well. Uh, yeah, right. There, there's obviously subtler stuff in this movie too, like when the when when Simon comes down, and obviously the the movie does not. Bunel is not hammering home the hypocrisy of the fact that Simon is climbing up onto a taller pillar. Yeah, like a better pillar. Some rich guy, a better pillar. (laughs) Yeah, which which, as far as I can tell, maybe was cured of impotence. (laughs) It seems like it. Like the the way they sort of like veer around like some special disorder. It's like, wait a minute, right? Yeah. Um, Also, I mean. Listen, it's a very Bunel joke to have a guy cured of impotence donate. Giant, a giant tower? Absolutely. 100%. A giant phallus. No, I, it, that's what, I mean, all that <laughs> so, working together is why I believe that's the case. But, right. like, it's so good. Right. Right. Um, but but in his movement over when uh, when the priest is trying to give him, to swear him orders, and uh, and Simon's like, oh, no, I'm too, I'm too low, too low to take holy orders. Um the priest also says that he had been on the initial pillar for six years, six months, and six days, which no one comments on. Right. The six six six. Um, which is uh yeah. It's Bunel being Bunel too. Absolutely. But, yeah. but obviously mean, being but more obviously on the nose it, than he is in other parts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It being it being the sixth day of the sixth month of the sixth year of him being on the pillar, uh, not only does he get tempted to and, and give in to that temptation to have a more ornate pillar. Uh, but the devil shows up to more directly tempt him, uh, and Pinel is the devil in all of her yeah. incarnations, and doing just a blo- uh, just a blockbuster job, just being <laughs> absolutely absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, like I mean, of course, I don't I don't love the in general the sort of overarching concept of of portraying the devil as you know a very attractive woman. I find that that, that I mean, in general, like in sort of general terms, that's a very like. Ugh, come on, you guys can do better than this. Well, but in this movie being an attack, I think not only on sort of historical Christian Christian historicity, uh, maybe more than history, yeah, uh, but also on a current state of Christianity. Like we we end with the devil enjoying rock music at a dance club, like, right? No, and, right? and that's, and that's uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like that's well, overtly culture war stuff that was you know right absolutely dumb, totally 100 percent. and like it's very clearly like Bunel is also trying to comment on is definitely 100 percent trying to comment on all that garbage and like mm-hmm. so like i'm not faulting this choice because again absolutely amazing work here it's just you know it's one of those things where it's like at the same time there's always this thing in the back of my head it's like do we do we need to do this like but then again with Bunel, it's like yeah kind of because like it works pretty well 
uh, you know, get to make lots of interesting points with it. It's just, I don't know, you know what I mean, yeah. right? Like, it's just a thing, right? Like, Right, right. I love this movie for the subtle hypocrisy of everybody. You know, yeah. we've already talked, the rich man may be cured of impotence and, and gets the gets the big pillar but but like the the one poor man whose whose hands have been cut off for stealing and who's like well doesn't a repentant thief deserve uh deserve uh, uh mercy too and and of course yes I'm, I'm glad that that happens and then he gets his hands back and immediately slaps his yeah it's just slapping his daughter's um, around yeah absolutely it's yeah. like i mean but yeah of course, right? Like, I mean, you know, like in in many ways, you know, is not really interested. I mean, he does engage in subtlety in this yeah. film, but also not super interested in subtlety. Uh, yeah. Like, tries to make a lot of the points very clear. Uh, right, right. Another interesting aspect to you know, we get the Bunel of the Milky Way, who's making like deep references to things, uh, is. You know, also a dichotomy of Buniel too, because occasionally he'll do things like what Simon does with the with the brother who uh, who sees the the sexy devil, the first devil to show up, and uh, and he says uh, he says to that guy about uh, um, you know not being seduced by the gaze by a woman's gaze. Um, that one's maybe kind of based in Proverbs, but the other two things he says, the other Proverbs he gives to remind this guy not to be lustful are seemingly only sourced to the movie. I cannot find oh, them in, in any other writing outside of commentary on this movie. So, like, interestingly enough, I I was a little bewildered uh, when trying to search those out because the top Google results for the exact phrase... Uh, was an Arabic language page, but I clicked through and it was an Arabic language page that was translating phrases from the transcript of this movie for oh, some reason. I don't know. It was <laughs> just like a, it was, it was just a translation page, but it was like sample phrases and they were all just lines from this movie. Uh, some not even very interesting lines from this movie, like, Hey brother, Matthew, I think was like one of them. Huh, essentially. That's interesting. Like, I wonder that yeah. now I'm fascinated about the, about this yeah, age of the internet. But it, yeah, it it also seemed like the sort of uh, sort of web page that was built on just scraping a text dump from something. Right. Like, yeah. Like it's it's it itself was some sort of weird scam that I can't really suss out. What's uh, <laughs> right. what's right? How am I losing money by looking at this? But uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, it's uh, like I said, you know, the one kind of kind of alludes to a verse from the book of proverbs but the rest are uh are seemingly something that uh simon's character has made up to make lust to make looking at this woman even more of an overt lustful thing which is weird because you know we get that thing from the actual teachings of jesus where he's like hey if you uh lust after a woman uh just pluck out your eye and stop stop lusting uh, which Simon could lean on to, uh, but that would be that would be a weird, you know, it doesn't come up a lot. And I'm surprised Bunel doesn't because it is, you know, an actual biblical critique of the idea that women dressing provocatively is, is yeah the problem when it's when it you know Jesus frames it as uh, you know a man's response 
right. to it, a this woman seems dressing to be a you problem. It's not the a, problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not them. It's you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Simon, I'm not surprised. Right. I mean, Simon is is essentially nonstop hypocrisy. So Simon is absolutely <laughs> right. going to <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, brother Matthew skipping. And just being a, just a, am- a weird young man. It's just an amazing <laughs> character. Just amazing character work there. Just non, to be so gleefully humor. disinterested in the yeah. things Simon says as well. Like, <laughs> right, like both right, like doing right, the right. thing that like young people do where they're like, yeah, whatever you say, uh-huh. And then like 100% <laughs> yeah. not giving a shit. It's very amazing work. He's very good. The extended conversation with the, with the, the goat herder. Um, that Matthew has where, where, where the goat herds like, Oh, you love, you love animals, don't you? And Matthew's like rubbing the haunches of this goat. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the goat herd gets a little, a little more, a more, more overt in what he's trying to say. And Matthew's just like disgusted. Yeah. He's like, don't love animals like that. The devil's in this wilderness. Um, <laughs> before he gets stuck to sign. Yeah. It's all very, uh, I mean, it, this is only 45 minutes long, so we could just, you know, recount the entire movie word for word, and I don't think we should do that. No, but I, just, I will say that I really... There's a lot of very good humor Yeah, in there is. It's, it's, and, well, and, like, this is a very different thing. That we really haven't gotten to engage with any movie that really... I can't think of any movie that really feels like this, uh, right. honestly speaking, that we've ever watched at all. Um like you know, there's yeah. it, even other Munell stuff. Is really it like not. this? I, I really wish it were longer. I really, honestly, do wish it were a full length feature film. Like it just feels like it could. I feel like I feel like it's got the chops to go the length. You know what I mean? Like it, it. You could just have like you know clearly has a bajillion things you could have happen here, and they, and like the ending is very abrupt. Uh, uh, yeah. the, the ending's pretty good. Uh, I like the sort of quote unquote modern rendering of Simon as just that disinterested asshole at a party. Uh, <laughs> right, right. It's just Where like... he's got the he's got the hair flattened and he's smoking a pipe and he's got like the black turtleneck yeah, on. Yeah, he's just and too he's just, cool. Yeah, he's just mid sixties hipster instead of you know French philosopher sort of thing. Um, interesting. Uh, the uh, the essay gets into some of the ideas that you know had for a, a longer version of this. Um, he says uh, you know had other adventures in mind for the middle of the movie, a snow scene. He said in his memoirs, pilgrimages, a visit from the emperor of Byzantium. Uh, and of course, those didn't get shot. Um, uh, the uh, the essayist then says that they would have filled out the movie rather than altered the meaning or structure, and I'm not entirely sure if that's true. Right, I right. Uh, I mean, just, I don't know that, I too am a little disappointed this isn't longer, but also I don't know that more examples of Simon's hypocrisy as we move well, through time. Well, I mean, were, what it would necessary. offer you is you're right. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't help with the characterization of Simon. What it would do right. is present us with other kinds of people that Simon can interact with, <laughs> which is just a fun scenario. Like, listen, you and, understand and what more Simon iterations, is pretty quickly, right? Like, more iterations of that devil would be fun to see too. Also so, true. Like, um, right? Like. 
100% true. I would like to point something out. I want to read a sentence to you. The Uh first pillar that Simeon occupied was little more than three meters. He later moved his platform to others. The last in the series reportedly more than 15 meters from the ground. I apparently Simeon changing pillars is a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's historically a real thing. Accurate, I guess. I'm just very fascinated that that is like what I mean is is like what things that that Brunel is or is not taking from the real the the sort of quote unquote real person uh, is uh, fascinating to me. I I just I don't know like that's it's just it's a joke in the movie, but it's also a real joke that is you know you know what I mean like right. We we talk in this discussion of the movie about the hypocrisy of doing that, but also that's a thing that happened. So that hypocrisy is like baked into the into the exa- the the source material. Uh, right, it's fascinating. No, it's 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 interesting psychologically what what is going on with the actual historical column sitters, because you know on the one hand it's an asceticism. And it's about being separate from the world. Um, but on the other hand, you are literally putting yourselves above others. Right. And well, getting also closer not... to God physically. Right. right. Absolutely. Uh, There's in, an arrogance to that that is, that is baked right. in. Combine that with the fact that you're absolutely not separating yourself from the world, really. Because at least in the Simon version of this, like he's basically never left alone. Right, right. And... I think that's kind of true for St. Simeon, too. Yeah, it does appear. Uh, apparently, he gave, because he, it, gave, he ministered from the top of the pillar, so you know. Right. It it invites spectacle. It right, invites... right. Like, I mean, if you're going to do, like, you know, I mean, it's, you know, we understand what, like, as the audience, we understand that there there is a way to do your sort of asceticism where you, like, literally never, ever see another human being again, and it's like, you, this is not it. Like being in the, on a pillar at the highest point in town is not that. So right, right. Um, so yeah, there's it is it is it is fascinating. Uh, like yeah, there's it, it. It's very. It's a fun sort of like thought, sort of almost thought experiment to be along on the ride for in this movie to like right. kind of almost suss out exactly how much of a hypocrite Simon is. Right. <laughs> and like I'm pretty fully on board, you know, I I can take a lot of contentions with what Bunel has to say about Christianity at times. And I'm on board with a lot of what Bunel says about Christianity. I say that as a practicing Christian. Uh but here in particular with I can understand his cuz he's like psychoanalyzing what what would make a person do this? And it is an arrogance that would make a person right. want to do this, right? It is not. And it's it's that really that really interesting religious arrogance of, oh, I'm the lowest of the low. Like I'm the worst sinner. Uh, right. And and there is there is an inherent arrogance to declaring yourself the worst person, right? Right. Absolutely. Um yeah. So it's, and that's a, you know, an underlying psychological issue of a lot of modern Christianity too, you know, and certainly was true, you know, yeah. 
it's interesting that Bunel is working at a time where, you know, fundamentalism is, modern fundamentalism is really just on its rise. There are, you know, there are types of fundamentalism throughout the 20th century and even a little before, but, but it's really hitting its stride, I think, in the 50s, into the 60s. And then in the 70s in America, we get things like, um, you know, the religious right and the moral majority and, and, uh, fall well and, and that stuff. Um, so we're still a little before that, but we are certainly, it is not just religion or Christianity in general. I think that Bunel is reacting to Bunel is not reacting to some church he was raised in. Right. He is, he is reacting to a spirit of Christianity that is, uh, troubling to say the least throughout the 20th century right Right. so but a thing i was going to bring up in the last movie and i forgot and it's and it it came into the forefront of my thinking even more actively for this film was that that is an interesting element of you know that like we see is is he engages with these concepts in a way that is is a little bit different than i've come become sort of accustomed to with authors and uh filmmakers and and creative creative types engaging with these topics a lot of times authors and it's sort of along the lines of what you just mentioned uh, like creative works oftentimes seem to like especially we talk about engage with very specific elements of their their upbringing you know what i mean like with the with like oh this is a play on the way that i was raised specifically and while uh you know was raised by you know i mean i guess he was went to jesuit school or something along those lines i don't i didn't pay super close attention so in some ways he is engaging directly with that but a lot of it is much more broad and global than that uh he chooses to like instead of like making direct commentary on his own life he take he chooses something more directed broadly at what he sees as a a, a fundamental flaw in the sort of construction of society, I suppose. Right, um, right. Now, he does come from, from a place that had interesting relationship with Christianity, I think, too. Uh, he was born in the town of Calanda, or the region of Calanda in Spain. Um, and, uh, and there is a part in Simon, and it shows up in a couple of other movies, uh, where uh, on the soundtrack we get like this big parade sound of a lot of drumming. And that is a festival in Kalanda uh, for Holy Week, for, right. for yeah, the week of Easter, yeah. uh, where uh, where everyone joins the town center with their drums and they make they make a uh, a joyful noise, so to speak. Um, the big boom, I think, is what they refer right. to it as yeah. in Kaladana, or something to that extent. Um, but it is it is just everyone drumming, uh, and there's some interesting news articles on in the last year. Uh, in 2021, particularly, uh, Caledonia, uh held that festival socially distanced. So, oh wow! But they they still did it, um, which is very interesting too. But uh, but yeah, so we get that we do get a point of that here. So that to say, you know, he does he does have that Christian upbringing, and obviously living you know, at least 30 years of his life in Spain and 
the Francoists were fundamentalist Catholics too, right? Right. That is another aspect of of what they were, right-wing Catholic authoritarians. Um, there is there is an aspect where he is, you know, he is reacting to a a danger of religious fundamentalism that he has experienced, right? Right. Um, but uh, but they're never they're never really framed as cautionary tales, right? That's kind of so what I mean. Is that like even yeah. you know not cautionary tales and not like <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Like a lot of times when I, for some reason like and I I've always kind of been balked at this in general is a fair number of like like sort of allegorical works that we've encountered in the past and you know through this podcast and through other you know just general media consumption tend to feel like they're very specifically aimed at like i need to warn people about this thing like very specific thing i experienced rather than uh like obviously like yes talking about fundamentalist catholics in a broader sense is what is part of what Brunel's engaged with, but he's not like he doesn't make a film that is just like a satirical retelling of like you know Franco Spain or something. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. He seems it to is, take it at least one step further away. Yeah, and he's you know in in all of these instances, you know, certainly with the Milky Way, with the stuff in Viridiana. Um, we've not seen Nazarene, but but it seems to be similarly. Um, it is to make a mockery of it. It is to to point out the absurdity of it. Um, and you know that's maybe a failure on Bunel. Um, it is certainly a frustration I have today, in that in just pointing out the hypocrisy and the absurdity of it. Uh, you know, it's certainly something I've done myself. Uh, but you're not actually actively working against the machinations of that bad thing. Right. So like um, pointing out that it's absurd, maybe because you know, a lot of people support it knowing that it's absurd or because they're not going to think about it. Even if you tell them, even if you show them it's absurd, right. they're not going to change their mind about it. Um, so, you know, there's that aspect too. Uh, but it's just, you know, Bunel's an interesting guy. I don't mean to, say that's a fault uh necessarily you know it is again something i get frustrated with but i'm not Bunel's doing what he wants to do and what he creatively feels led to do and he's making interesting things right, right. so whether or not they fall apart it's not he's not just tweeting some dumb joke about being a fundamentalist and then leaving it at that right so, right i mean he's also pushing over uh, christmas trees at parties so i mean like he's he is he is doing practical application of his too, beliefs right? Right, right. He is still he is still that guy who <laughs> pushes over a Christmas tree and calls it praxis. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm still just terribly surprised that Chaplin seems to have forgiven him for that really quickly. Yeah, that's <laughs> more really... more about Chaplin than about Bunell in that right. one for me. But um, interesting enough, there is a there is a historical historical. There is uh, the the miracle of Kalanda, the the city he is from, is uh, a 1640 incident where, uh, according to uh, according to documents from the time, uh, a uh, a young farmer who had his leg amputated uh, miraculously grew it back two and a half years later. So there is a uh, there is sort of a uh, 
an illusion within the movie with the guy's hands growing. I, I back like after the addition of implied that that young man was a thief, or yeah, some, or, well, or mean, had his, deserved his it in some off. way. Had deserved losing that leg in some way. Yeah. Instead of it probably being some sort of gangrenous, uh, like farming infection. accident or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what actually happened to him. Um, it was gangrenous. They had no choice to. Oh no! Miguel fell off a cart. Oh, <laughs> that was being pulled by pulled by mules, probably because he had fallen asleep, according to the Wikipedia synopsis. Oh, so this, this is a little a little boy blue kind of scenario here, and like yeah. he did deserve it. And it was uh, <laughs> the leg was crushed under one oh, of the cartwheels. Horrible. Mm, yeah. Anyway, again, I mean, this is. It is a pretty big miracle if it happened. So, um, yeah, big if true. Uh, um, yeah, big if true. But anyway, there is the you know there is the aspect of uh, of at least a, another another aspect of Unel's own life, you know, and the things he would have learned about as a child, right? Yeah, growing up, yeah. So, so there's that. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's a very fun movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a I don't know. it is very it is a very I like Binel continues to have a lot of films that I think to myself I'm really glad that this is a thing that exists. Yeah, uh, yeah. I and this this fits firmly into that category. I, it's like I could probably happily rewatch it and really enjoy it once again. I. I, I just admire a lot of just the there's a lot of really good like work done by the uh, like all the actors in the film like it's like all the monks are just kind of hilarious like oh yeah they're just at their at their core they're just ridiculous and and right. it makes them so much fun to watch like and then the way that like and I'm fascinated by like the entire experience of watching uh like. I mean, it's obviously part of the the joke and everything, but like watching Simon both refuse to like call himself lower than all of them, and then just constantly just lecturing the shit out of them is just amazing. Right. It's just so, it just feels so good because it's it's like yeah, this this you're just so on board with just like kind of like looking and rolling your eyes and being like yeah, this asshole. Like by the time it's over, it's so it's yeah, it's so well done. Yeah. It really, it really is. Uh, Wikipedia suggests that there was maybe uh, also they they cite Pinal for this information too. So it it <laughs> I wonder how much of this is Pinal embellishing the story every time she tells it. Yeah, I'm sorry, this is starting uh, to feel very apocryphal. Like honestly, yeah. But she also suggests that uh, Vittorio De Sica and Orson Welles were both uh, both approached or at least suggested to be approached. Uh, to uh, to record, uh, shoot their own parts of the film. Boy, an Orson Welles um, version of anything related to this. I don't, wow. I can't, my brain's just doing things. I don't know. That would be. But yeah. Yeah. The uh, the stuff with Jules Dashton and, uh, and Federico Fellini seems a little more concrete. Yeah, it seems more, uh, well, it does just sound kind of more realistic, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Fellini stuff, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially, um, specifically everything that was described out of Fellini all seems to track. Yeah. 
Every any the problem is you could describe anything to Fellini and it would seem to track. To That's us. true. Yeah, I mean we're <laughs> very much aspect. we're we're back in the the conversation we were having about exterminating <laughs> Angel. Where like, you know, is any individual story about Fellini completely unbelievable? No, no, not at all. Um, uh, <laughs> when she shows up in like the the schoolgirl sailor outfit and like licks his face it's just it's uh, oh i yeah that that entire like well what i really really enjoy about that is how much brunel just decides to fuck with us as the audience not not just with his characters but as an audience just totally break our brains for a second and be like what the fuck like because up until now up until that very moment the movie is is obviously you know commentary on religion and everything like that but it's fairly straightforward in that department and then suddenly right and then suddenly it i the description of like the sort of mental experience is like if you've if you've ever like um like seen something like what appears to be a a dog driving a car or something you're like wait what now right well it's it is the very first explicit anachronistic thing right, that happens right, in the movie. Exactly. <laughs> but first... and it, and it's such a strong play. Like you know what I mean? It's not like Right. It, he doesn't start even a little bit subtle with the anachron- with the anachronism. It's like <laughs> right. hardcore right there. Just uh, did it. Oh uh, yeah. And obviously, you know, we're we're dealing with a supernatural being who has been showing up and like her first appearance is uh with a beautiful face but still the the devilish uh, hands, the dark hands with right. the long fingernails. Um, of course, it gets more absurd the next couple times she says. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the zooming across the desert in the in the casket is is great. Is amazing. It's so good. It's just, I love it. Yeah. And then she pops out and she's dressed as like God as a shepherd, um, and then kicks the sheep. Yeah, this, yeah, like, it's so good. It's just so like everything about it. Yeah, she just does an amazing job. Like, and and it's it is it is always a really really fascinating thing when like uh, and you know specifically is doing something is doing a really good job of it. But like when like the devil's the coolest and funnest person in the movie, you know what I mean? Like, can we oh, just yeah. hang out with this person for the rest of the movie? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like. I don't need this guy over here. This is great. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to be friends with this person. <laughs> like, uh, I, that doesn't happen a lot. But like, you know, essentially making the devil a really cool person that you think would probably be a lot of fun to hang out with. Yeah, cool. Right. Great. Right. And you know, you know, that's common enough. It through, is through other, but it's through not, other stuff. It is a a trope that exists. Absolutely. But still, but, but I think you know, it's my, fun to see. My engagement with it has always been more on the cool side and less on the like, you know what I mean? Like because those are often so sort of inherently invested in a sort of being cautionary or something like that. That it's right. like I feel like my engagement has always been like it's like a uh, it'll be like a greaser or something. You know what I mean? Like it'll be this sort of like more leaning towards cool instead of fun. I don't know how to describe yeah. it. Like. It's just because the acting's so good. She just does such an amazing acting job. There, like, I want to. I want more of this. Just give me more of this. Right, right. You know, thinking of like, uh, 
good omens. You know, Crowley isn't overtly. That's true. I mean, good omens. I had sort of right. Right. That that is true. Like good omens is is, but good omens is a very special thing in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's doing a different thing to like good omens going on in almost any of singular any other tale. Yeah. Right. Because in Good Omens, you know, Crowley's just a demon, first off, and uh, both heaven and hell are just, just bureaucracies shit. Yeah, just marching awful too. shit shows, yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas here we get the devil dancing at the end of the world to uh, to radioactive flesh. Right. Which is... new dance. Yeah. Which is... What I love about... Like, let's, let's, talk, let's talk Wikipedia for a minute here. I... Yeah. The radio... It says... And she says it's the it's radio it is radioactive flesh similar to the Watsitsi and I'm like Watsitsi I'm like is it though because it doesn't appear to be it appears to be <laughs> Brunel saying hey kids just like shake around wildly yeah There's whatever no dance, dance you want to do go nuts right literally no one is doing the same thing right and then and no. then it being described on Wikipedia as being similar to the Watsitsi is like yeah what now. Like clearly, somebody on um, on Wikipedia's like who's was submitting was like very much honed in on a specific person in that scene doing a specific thing. It was like that's the thing right there. Well, this is also this is also an instance where it it seems like the Wikipedia article was written by one person with a very specific interpretation of what's yeah, going on. Absolutely. Here. Like like they describe the uh, the shepherd devil. As being disguised as Jesus, and right, really yeah, does I not, saw that and I was like, "Really?" Uh, does not expand upon that scene at all, right? Um, and like, I want to—that doesn't—that's not super accurate to yeah. what's going on, and doesn't even mention the doesn't even mention the uh, the lamb kicking, the lamb kicking. I mean, yeah. I feel like yeah, I feel like. Every so often you read a uh, Wikipedia synopsis and you're like, you really just did not key into the best parts of this, did you? Like, Right. You and I had very different experiences watching this movie. Like, very, yeah, clearly this person clear. was not having as much fun as we were. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, Simon wanting to go home and then the devil saying, oh, you can't. It's uh, It's been, there's a new tenant um, yeah, it's so it's, good. Uh, and yeah, you know, and and the historical Simon did have a lot of uh, imitators moving forward over the next uh, next century. Um, of course he did, because it, like, yeah, like again, right. that plays it's into the arrogance inherent to this thing, right? Is like you've done a thing that got you just insane amounts of attention, right? Like it's right. Yeah. People crave like crave attention. You know, it's right. Even even some of the uh, most well intentioned people, you know, Christians I respect, are tempted to the idea of making what they're doing into a movement. Right. Right. Um, right. Well, and that's a temptation even outside of Christianity for people who course, are involved with with things they think are important. Is this just this constant? Temptation. I want to lead a movement rather than just do the thing I need to do. Right. Um, right. And 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 it comes from a, and it and it and often it's 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 somewhat innocent, right? Like it's you know, and and you could even there's the the movie sort of holds a little bit of hope out for even Simon in this this way in, in that 
Like obviously Simon is is supposed to be just the most bald faced hypocrisy you can imagine, right? But like at the same time, there's this sort of thing where in your where you when you start to think about it, it's like, well, you know, you you want everybody wants to inspire other people, right? Like partially right. because you partially because of there's that arrogance inherent to like sort of people's existence in the world and wanting attention. And then there's also, you combine that with this sort of like, well, what I'm doing is, you know, and this is arrogant as well, what I'm doing is important, quote unquote, and other people should be doing it too, right? Like, it, it, it there's, it, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of complications involved with, with people's, you know, trying to, right, do th- like things that even if those things might even be construed as good, um, right? And, you know, it, a lot of that boils back to, you know, what Viridiana was about, this, uh, you know, uh, this self-centering nature of personal charity. Right. Right. You know, and that's, you know, it's not going, we need to all be in this together is really, you know, uh, when a, when a communist attacks personal charity, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta understand, uh, what they're falling back onto, even if they don't overtly mention it. Right. Um, Yeah. And that's and that's part of you know what I have, what I've I have often cautioned people against um, that I feel this tendency in, and maybe maybe it is actually a personal flaw that I don't feel this tendency. Maybe it is my own arrogance to say, oh, I don't deserve to be the head of a movement or anything like that. But but what I've also often cautioned people against is you know when you see work that needs done in the world more than likely there are already people doing it and you should find them and support their work right uh as opposed to doing it yourself right uh you know because also a bunch of people doing it themselves it's never going to have everything done yeah right it's not going to have the same effect as all of us trying to do it together right um so you know and yeah, people like Simeon and and Simon. It Simon is a, a a good iteration of of this idea. The people like Simeon, who, as I said, you know, they wanna they've convinced themselves of their own lowliness, and that itself has become a kind of of a kind of elevation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, right. and, 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 and and it's interesting with the pillar guys because it's literally elevation, too, right. right? Yeah, I mean, it's so, just like, too like it, like life is being just too on the nose. Right. But like the other thing about what I find fascinating about it, the, the, the where you can kind of draw the line between this and what we were talking about with charity, or not charity, but like more like works, you know, like going out and like trying to participate in organizations or like start organizations and stuff is there's a lot of flaws inherent to somebody being like, I'm going to start an organization to do this thing. And there's already like a million other organizations that are already doing that thing. There's a lot of flaws there. Like, don't get me wrong. I agree fundamentally with what you're saying about like, you should try to support the ones that already exist, but at least it is a form of practical application of your beliefs. Yeah. Whereas what Simon's doing is in the sense that like, Beyond just a sense of it being a practical application, but like it could literally have an impact on at least another person. You know what I mean? Like, you you are actually still you know if you start an organization to help you know with like uh, you know whatever any sort of work that needs to be done in the world, even if you're like the thirtieth person in town that's doing it, 
you still have the possibility of impacting other people like in a practical way. Um, right. What what Simon is, does and Simeon by by connection is fundamentally useless to society. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. quote unquote. It's TV, very interesting but, to like, me. Yeah. It's very interesting to me historically, and maybe there, there's a dissertation in this, uh, so I could certainly expound on it more. But it's interesting that uh, Simeon, even if he wasn't the first, and it seems like he probably was, but the entire movement exists post-Constantine, and the the usurpation of Christianity into empire, right? Uh, or or substation, I suppose, of Christianity into empire is what leads to Christianity developing a personalized theology a, a right. theology of individual instead of theology of the collective um and it's you know it's mostly to to in order to claim a nation state is a christian nation it has to be in individualized christianity right right otherwise you get a lot of very clear hypocrisies right um, which obviously are still very clear hypocrisies to anyone outside of the system, even a little bit askew from the system. But right, uh, but but you know, in order to, but you need this sort of even if it's absurd, you need to sort of internally justify your right, right, right. What you so what you do and say, yeah. It's interesting that this very very clear, overt individualization uh, is. Uh, is post-Constantine. Now, of course, you know, ascetics, you could argue that asceticism has always been an individualistic uh, interpretation of religion. Right. Whatever religion yeah, it's I mean, in. Right. Yes. And, and you know, asceticism certainly existed before Constantine, period. I so, mean... So there is that. Yeah, I mean, but, asceticism exists before Christianity. I mean, like, it, this... Right. Of like, course. <laughs> like... The 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 issue you run into, it, well, partially you get you run into this like, does it actually jive with Christian theology? Like, is always a whole other thing, right? But like, um, th- there's something different about making sure that your asceticism takes place on a thing that's visible from a, a distance, right? Right. Like you know, there, there, it, there's it, just a, there's a fundamental difference between that and being in a cave somewhere that maybe no one's ever going right. to find you. Maybe you'll die alone and literally no one will ever find your body, you know, like you could you could certainly interpret commands to sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor to to lead to a I should live in a cave alone. But I mean, you would the purpose, the purpose, but (laughs) yeah, the purpose as I as I find in those commands is in order to live in community. Right, right, another. yeah. I, that's right. what I mean. Yeah, you're, you're like yeah. that. Interpretation is unfortunately yeah. incorrect. No one is above or below. Right, right. Like, yeah. If you, all... if you have nothing, and everybody else in your entire universe has nothing that you poser- personally possess, yeah. guess what? You are. You're a commune. Good job. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and that's you know that's what I've that's what I've increasingly interpreted that as. But certainly, it's not. It's interesting because, you know, the real individualistic sorts of Christianity that I grew up in just didn't engage with those commands. Oh, right, they're, right, they're because I, right. Because legitimately, I think what you end up in is that, like, you can do the asceticism sort of interpretation, but that still comes from a very specific cultural dynamic of, like, whereas eventually even that 
even the modern sort of the sort of modern cultural dynamic won't even let you really even do that one. You know what I mean? You just right. have to start ignoring those elements because you like even something like asceticism is a problem because it flies in the face of empire. Right. In its modern context, right? Like this right. form of asceticism probably like in in that sense like isn't really an affront directly to empire because in empire at this point is not in, so clearly invested in 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 maintenance capitalism. of capitalism uh, right exactly yeah. whereas now you can't even engage with that part because it just it breaks the whole system so like right. you know it, it, yeah. yeah and a a good chunk of the latin american liberation theology that i have engaged with talks about uh anti-capitalism in terms of being atheistic to the god of empire right right um because you are you are rejecting the fundamental tenets of a religion uh right and uh and it is a a religion that has uh gotten the seal of christianity uh in the modern day and and in simeon's day it was starting too you know so I don't, again, you know, I think, I don't know if I said it this episode or last episode, but yeah, it's, it is a thin line when I talk about Christianity like this, because I, I don't want to be, well, no true Christian, you know, and, or I'm the only real Christian or something like that. I have to actively engage with the fact that this is Christianity as it existed for at least 1500 years. Right, so, right, like, right. Yeah, no, you're, you're right there. Luckily, I'm, I have... I do not feel such a burden because yeah, fuck it all. Because you are actually outside. Of, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't care. Like, I mean, and I will gladly say that that like, I will happily engage with the idea that like, you know, much like you encounter in other religions that go through the same process. Like, uh, I literally have to. I engage with this concept in discussions of this con uh, a similar concept in Buddhism. As a through through my work, it's not a thing I'm an expert on, but it's a thing we talk about a little bit in class. And like, mm-hmm. eventually, you just say, "Well, this shit's all fucked. Like, it's all just right. We right. we done fucked it up so bad that like party's over. Try again. Like, <laughs> like sorry, but that's where it feels like that's where we're at right, right. now. Um, I get it. I but, get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I. <laughs> Which actually brings me to an interesting point that, like, a thing you brought up earlier <laughs> that I wanted to, I, uh, that I thought is really interesting is you mentioned about the, um, the idea that, uh, kind of engaging with the idea of that, like, oh, like, the worst of, like, there's a certain arrogance to being the worst of the worst. Uh, I'm reminded yeah. of a thing that, like, again, like, Buddhism is not my, like, area of expertise. Let's be very clear here, okay? Yeah. Uh, but, like, a thing that, like, I read offhandedly one time was about the the one of the primary, like, like very power, like, traditionally very powerful sects of Buddhism in Japan is true pure land Buddhism. Uh, okay. It, it's complicated. Great. Like, Love the name already. There's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a translation, obviously. But, like, I could explain why it's exactly specifically called that. But like yeah. one of the tenets of it is, among other things, there's this idea that like we've we are so far away from the Buddha, like that like we can't possibly uh, hope to use what it like. Essentially, it's a game of telephone, and the the signal is so far degraded that we're done fucked. We can't 
you're not going to get enlightenment from this source anymore that you have to yeah. like that you have to find some other like alternative route in and it's complicated it gets very uh very complicated that I don't want to get into but one of the interesting things is is that one of the methodologies has a lot of parallels with Christianity but um it, it the net result of it is is a is a theological uh sort of concept that came up that that uh one of the founders engaged with was the idea that like the person who is most blessed is the person who is the worst person because yeah. if if and again this is you see this in Christianity as well but the idea that like because you get salvation regardless of your actions in this scenario well like the person who's getting the most salvation is the person who's the worst person right. uh it, you know, it's just a, I just—it's a fascinating thing to me that like, like the contrast to like the arrogance of being the worst is that you're also like getting you're getting the best deal for your money basically in terms of like yeah. Uh, in terms I of think it was. Uh, it. I think it might have been Augustine who said, "If you sin, sin boldly." Yeah, uh, and that's basically so yeah, like make it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just I just I it's funny to like there's all kinds of parallels between like specifically true pure land Buddhism and and Christianity. We don't yeah. We'll, yeah. someday maybe we'll watch a movie where that comes up and we can talk about it really <laughs> deeply. I don't know. I will be very interested if that could happen. Yeah. But yeah. But uh yeah, so um I just I'm just fascinated by the idea of like I'm gonna get my money's worth out of this fucking <laughs> like just being yeah. being the worst. Um Love it. One thing I wanted to engage with with this movie in in a really roundabout way uh, that I found really fascinating was all the discussion in the documentary about things to do with the pillars. The oh, pillars yeah. being kind yeah. of like a main like character in the documentary. The documentary for this movie, by the way, uh, well, Brunel, Brunel in Mexico is the documentary. Yeah, that that documentary is a is a trip. It is a it's wild really... documentary. It's very interesting. It's very um, stylized. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I was after I watched the one with the last movie first, uh, the uh, the last script, which is you know Bunel's sons talking about Bunel and and going through the different geographically traveling to the different places that Bunel lived in his life. Um, I was not prepared for the stylistic differences yeah. between that and this one when <laughs> yeah. it started. Yeah, Bunel in Mexico is is like somebody was like, "I this is my project. This is my art." Yeah, uh, yeah. Bunel in Mexico is a a creative nonfiction choice of a documentary. Yeah, yeah. I but the thing that I engage that I found the most amusing is the pillar work. The the all the like all the things that happen in the pillar, partially because it's told non-linearly. So I'm like, what the fuck happened yeah. with this pillar? Because like they try right. to move it, and then but like before they even try to move it, we talk to the farmer whose field the pillar was built in, and it's just the the capital of the pillar is just laying in the middle of his yard, basically, and right. like and and the movie talks to him as though like, hey, isn't this a cool thing you have? And he's and like, do you see it as a souvenir? He's like, no, I don't see it as a souvenir. It's a pain in my ass. Like, <laughs> right? I really it's wish it wasn't way. here. I could plant yeah. corn here. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, right, and then before, right. even before that, like, how did it get here? And like, well, some people blew it up with dynamite, and here it is. <laughs> and then you're like thinking to yourself, like, what happened here? Because it's not at yeah. the top of the hill, Adam. It's at the bottom. 
And so right, you're like, right. did they just blow up the pillar in this man's field and just allow the top of it to just fly free and land wherever the hell it wanted to? Right. I Presumably, pro- I mean, like, obviously it's a field, so it's not, like, immediate danger, but, like, just very, like, willy-nilly being like, yeah, I mean, like, if it kills a person, it kills a person. We've got to get rid of this column. <laughs> They had been up all night. Yeah, so, like right, and they don't out. explain that, that. What I'm really super invested in, and I, and I I just keep thinking about it, is there's no explanation how they go from we're gonna move this column to a display at the at the like at the town plaza in celebration of Bunel to yeah. and then it was blown up with dynamite. Right. And right. bear in mind, I could see a world where the farmer's like, well, I got to get this out of the middle of my field. I'm going to blow it up with dynamite. The farmer doesn't know how it happened. And neither does right. the person who they like, the like head of the Bunel Historical Society or whatever, either. And you're like, okay, so somebody blew this up with dynamite. Apparently, possibly apropos of nothing. <laughs> I like. I like to imagine, first off, they just paid somebody's cousin to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I know but this I like guy who has some dynamite. That, yeah, I like the idea that uh, the people who were in charge of moving it realized they couldn't move it in one piece, and dynamite was their solution to that problem. Right. And Yeah. <laughs> But like, and they just uh, overblew that, so I, to speak. But like, and, there's uh, so much. There's so much going on in them because a, moving columns is a thing that happens, and people know how to right. do. Um, right. So clearly, the people doing this don't know how to do it. Does not mean it's. But the movie engages with the idea that it was impossible. How did they build the columns? Is there anything so about that? So that's where we're getting into because there's a very specific way you actually build columns because columns are not singular right. pieces. I'm getting the impression that perhaps it was poured concrete in place. The whole th- right, yeah. And how did that happen? And like, how did they, how did they get it to begin with? Like, if that is what it was, because right, yeah, no, it's very baffling because because that's that's. It apparently is one piece, which is also is just not a thing. Um, so they apparently also didn't know how to build columns either, and so did it wrong. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, I guess probably I should say probably did it the modern way. I I, I don't know how people build columns in the year nineteen sixty two or the year twenty twenty one. You know what I mean? Like. Perhaps they do pour columns whole cloth in place, but that I mean, seems it's, harder it's more than sh- building it in pieces and assembling it like you do. I I assume it would be more structurally sound to make it. Yeah, but here's whole. the thing about really heavy stone: it sort of lends its own structural like stability to itself. Like right, right. You put one two-ton block of stone on top of another two-ton block of stone, presuming both sides of those two, where they touch are flat, guess what's not moving basically yeah. ever? Either of those stones. Um, short of, you know, dynamite. I mean, an interesting thing is that I I think today they essentially 3D print stuff like that. I, that's what I'm saying. There's, I, yeah, maybe it's like, a slowly rising concrete pourer that. That's would be my guess, and I'm sure that's what they did. That just seems like 
I guess that means you don't have to have a crane. You can just build a a a, a, a weird sort of like constantly well, you'd need growing a crane scaffold. To get the apparatus down, I suppose. But right, I know. Yeah. But like, yeah. But like, I mean, they make you. That's yeah. See, I don't. I don't. I I don't know, man. I mean, I guess you don't need the crane for for a long time. You can do it like. Yeah. I, I, I also don't know exactly how that works in because once the concrete dries, you can't really just apply more wet concrete to it. So, like, I don't know. It's got to be constantly wet at the very top, which I feel like would be harder in 1965 than it would be today. Right. I, so. I mean, there's a lot going on here that's really hard to understand. And then, like, and then even then, I would suspect you would probably put the capital on separately. You wouldn't. You would. You would mold that out somewhere where you can control the mold and then crane that on because, like, you're gonna like pour something that complicated just like on the spot. There's a lot of like stuff going on there. Um, but then, like, I'm also fascinated by the the fact that like apparently in 1965, no one can figure out how to move something that weighs like 12 tons or something. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. It's very hard. And maybe well, you weren't prepared, so you rolled up one day and were like, oh, yeah, I got a couple guys in a truck. We're going to do this. And you're like, I well, think, this is not going to work. But, like, it's not I impossible. Think it's not impossible, but when you show up with a couple guys in the truck and discover that, or even 15 guys and a couple trucks and discover it's not going to work, uh, there is the limitations of possibility in 1965 in the middle of nowhere in a field in Mexico. Uh, right, uh, or yeah. still financial? Uh, yeah, I suppose still, there's, there's and a still perhaps insur- insurmountably financial. Because right. so. I was gonna say, like, I'm pretty sure, like, like, what I mean is, like, it's got to be mostly financial. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It has right. to be because it's like, given enough energy and time, if you're gonna you're gonna figure out how to move it. Like, you know, right? I mean, maybe and you're I think just they fucking just dragging did. it down the street with like a lot of trucks. You know, I mean, I don't know. The fact that they tried all night implies that they just didn't have the time. They didn't have the or time. Or the money yeah. to like, buy the it time. It seems like we seem to be in one of those situations where a lot of people didn't understand the task they were engaged with. And so where you're like, like, yeah, we all, we're like, we need it tomorrow. Well, we'll just go out tonight and grab it. And, they, and get it. Yeah. And like, it's like 20 tons. Like, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> an alternative explanation for the dynamite is, uh, uh, you may recall, uh, just after, at, toward the end of our senior year of high school, that uh, our friend Jonathan, who does the music for the show, Jonathan Hape, um, he bought a Hammond organ, an electric organ. Yeah. And a number of us, Pat and I included, uh, transported that Hammond organ into Jonathan's parents' basement, which was his recording space at the time. Um, and it was a... <laughs> It was a project. It, it was an ordeal. Getting it in there. Yeah, there was. It was an ordeal, an Oregon ordeal. Um, when Jonathan's parents moved from that house about six years ago, uh, so it lived there happily for a decade. Uh, when Jonathan's parents moved from that house, uh, he, I, our friend Andy, and one other person uh, who we know from work in Columbus, but uh, but had moved to the Mansfield area because he inherited a farm. We got him involved somehow. Right, okay. Like, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Uh, we're in the area. You want to hang out? Also, we have to move this organ. Yeah, you want to um, move an organ? So so four, four adult men did the work that uh, 
that eight teenage boys had done, um, which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least I'm stronger than I was a decade ago. Uh, but uh, but at that point, it was non-functioning. So what we did was we got it out of the basement. We loaded it into a truck. We drove it to a uh, large trash dump. Uh, and the people there is like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can we can break that down and destroy it. But uh, but you got to you got to unload it yourself. So what we did was we <laughs> we pushed it off the back of a truck. Right. Uh, and then watched as a backhoe came by and just smashed it, just lowered, lowered right. the bucket yeah. of the backhoe onto it and just crushed it. And I was so relieved in watching it be crushed after all of the physical work I'd put into it that I understand just out of frustration. Right, there's catharsis the guys blowing it up with time. Absolutely. I get that. I, I really do. I just find it fascinating that, like, the way that the the dynamite seems almost mysterious <laughs> right, in the documentary right, right. that like no one seems to want to own up to it is is really like and i think i think that actually lends to the catharsis argument maybe, yeah. that no but one like, wants to own up to it every, like it's like oh i was just like, mad at it i was mad at it so i blew it up right no yeah. one wants to say that out loud <laughs> that's <laughs> true yeah I guess that's true. I, I don't know. It's just fascinating. Like I find the the, the saga of the pillars just like really right, right, deeply right. I get it. Engaging. I get it. Um, I, I, in you know, I like I approach it as a sort of like logistics puzzle where it's like, well, you know, like I mean, you got an army that presumably has a lot of, like, but I guess like you don't have the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't. I guess, I guess it depends on how important it was for you to get the column there to the celebration or whatever. Like apparently not that important it doesn't seem like the mexican corps of engineers was involved in this decision right (laughs) especially some of the photographs that they took are like a lot of like like weird scaffolding made of wood and stuff and some trucks i think it's just some guy's cousin yep it was it was the equivalent of four adults (laughs) trying to move an organ out of a basement throwing Uh, throwing it off the back of a truck Not even throwing, just pushing. We didn't have the energy to throw it right. at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, I love like when we arrived at the place. The work here. They're like, oh, you have to unload it yourself, but also you have to wear these high-vis uh, vests, goggles, and hard hats while you unload it yourself. Right. So they, well, see, that makes it better. They, that makes it more they fun. They geared us up. They geared us up, and then we pushed it off the back of a right. truck. <laughs> it was over like 30 seconds, right? But yeah. you know what I'm also fascinated about? Now, I can't, I can't stop thinking about the column. I also think about the fact that like, could even if they could try, could a column that was built in place, like poured concrete, actually survive any sort of lateral stress like from trying to like lay it down and move it? I don't, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I feel like it would just crack at some point. You would, even I'm, if not you an, could I'm not it an out. engineer. Just fascinated by it. I want more. And I it, want, I want, what was the name of, uh, now I can't remember. What was the, remember the film, oh my God, this is such a weird reference. <laughs> the film where they had to Are you talking this, about Burden of Dreams? Probably. Is that the one where they try to move the boat Fitz, over the mountain? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it is it is the making of Fitzcarraldo. Right. Which is That's about. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you want the behind the scenes, the burden of dreams of I, trying to move. I, yes. I want the burden of column. dreams of this column. I want it's smaller stakes <laughs> and smaller scale, but I'm going to border on probably less racist and more fun. 
Yeah, probably. So, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It is still it is still a bunch of local Mexicans doing something for a continental European director. True, true. Well, I mean there's that Mexican, there's that inherent uh, uh, like element to Brunel's entire career in Mexico, right? But like Yeah. But I figure if it I, I get my I don't know anything about the director of this but the of this documentary, but it has the feel it has the feel of somebody doing like some pretty deep commentary. <laughs> like you know what I mean? So I feel like right. I could trust right. the right. guy who made this documentary to also then make the column documentary as a separate yeah. work. Well, I mean, they're already halfway there. Right, it's got a lot got, of the footage. So. I mean, like, yeah. you've already got every interview with everybody involved with the film in weird blue coloring. It, I don't. There's uh, this 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 documentary's a work. I I really enjoyed yeah, there's, it. There's aspects of it that make it try to feel like it's archival footage, even though it's being shot in 2002. Yeah, it's so or good. Whatever. I love it. So. It's it's amazing. And like, but not in yeah. a way like not even like. In a like an obviously heavy-handed way, where there's no way anyone would believe it, it is. You know what I mean? Like it's like just trying to pick up the aesthetic of of archival footage without actually trying to make it look archival. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very. I also I just really enjoy watching aging actors like smoke and complain on screen. There's something really fun to me about that. <laughs> That's fair. That's certainly fair. And then interviews with like like Brunel Historical Society dudes behind desks getting really animated sometimes. I don't even think that's what he is. I just can't remember what his role was in in the world. And I, I can't remember now. But I don't know. There's just a lot going on in that uh, that documentary that I really liked. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting aspect of it. We talked about how... Uh, uh, our female lead obviously was in all three of these movies, but so was our male lead. Uh, Claudio Brook um, also played the major domo in Exterminating Angel. Not oh yeah, that, you that makes yeah, you can see with, that, with yeah. the beard. <laughs> the but, beard's doing a lot of work, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine that the reason so much time passed between the Exterminating Angel and this movie is that he had to grow the beard out, like a real beard, actually, yeah, a real beard. That makes sense. I believe right? it. Maybe That's he's just sat true. on the pillar for like a while. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is also in the Milky Way. Uh, moving forward. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't know. It seems like scrolling through. I'm not sure if he's in anything after anything Bunel after the Milky Way, but I could be missing something. Anyway, uh, the. Uh, the picture on his Wikipedia is him as Simon, though. So apparently, it's it's his most recognized role as far as the Wikipedia right. guys are concerned, uh, or that one guy who wrote the Wikipedia article for Simon also just wrote <laughs> wrote this. Also, yeah. Also popped over for this one. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, well, Pat, was there anything else you wanted to uh, no, pull up from I that mean, documentary? No, I mean, I can't stop thinking about the column. So I yeah, I'm the pretty, column pretty stuff much is fascinating. Me. <laughs> um, no, I, I just, I really, I really like this. I like we've, we've watched me now stuff that I, that was like, um, not like a hit for me, but like th- this and exterminating angel were just both just like, mm, yeah, perfect. Like just chef's kiss. I loved it. I enjoyed, I like 
there's always every so often like when we sit down to watch movies for this especially if i have to do two in one weekend like it's like yeah it sometimes feels like a burden and i'm like oh no i hope this is going to be good but like oh yeah perfect great 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 couple days of movie watching throw in the yeah. throw in the so, just absolutely wild documentary i had a great time right the lesson this week is that pat's love for Buñuel really really cements when Buñuel has more creative control in his own work which yeah. is uh, a good lesson to learn obviously the exception to that is the milky way but still. yeah i mean every so often he can get a little far up his own ass but you know what are you going to do right right i get it uh but anyway uh yeah, this week we've been talking about Simon of the Desert uh, from 1965, the last film that Louis Bunel made in Mexico, only 45 minutes long. And uh, yeah, as we talked about, maybe a lot of a lot of conflicting information on whether or not this was meant to be yeah. longer or in what really way. Just a lot of conflicting information in general. <laughs> yeah, uh, but fun nonetheless. Uh, really, really have loved this little set of Bunel films. Next week, we will be talking about Hobson's Choice, a 1954 comedy by David Lean. Um, this is, uh, we haven't seen a Lean work in a long time. Yeah. Uh, I don't have those numbers in front of us, but certainly, uh, certainly it's been a while. So look forward to seeing that. And thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always the Adam Glass with me. As always, John Patrick Ovitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. In Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Coatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.